Heavenly Father, we open ourselves, our minds, our bodies, our souls, our spirits, our hearts, our stories, our relationships. We open it all to you this morning. We pray that you would speak to us. In the words of Samuel, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 12 through 20. These are the words of the Apostle Paul, written under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Hear these words. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So last week, we kicked off a new series for the summer. Um, Actually, it's kind of wrapping up a year of focusing on what it means to live wholeheartedly as a church, to to be a people that live the love of God in our relationships with him and with one another, communion with God and community with other people. What does it look like to be able to give and to receive love in healthy and life-giving and Christ-honoring ways? And so what we're kind of studying here for the summer is what does that actually look like in our vocations, right? Our vocations. And by vocation, we mean not just work, although we'll talk about work, but we defined vocation very simply last week as our response to God's call to love him and to love others through the unique circumstances of our lives. So God is calling. We looked last week just at the call of God from Genesis, really, all the way through the New Testament, the call of God to our lives and our response to him, to love him and to love other people in all the various circumstances of our lives. Paul says later in 1 Corinthians 7, live as you are called. And that's what we're gonna look at is how do we live out this call to love God and love other people in these various spheres of vocation. And today we're gonna talk about Um, being called to a body. So we're gonna look at being called to a body today. We're gonna look at being called to work. We're We're gonna look at being called to family, being called into both a biological family and a spiritual family. And then we're gonna look at being called to a church, what it means to be a part of a a church body. And then we're gonna close by kind of uh, ending the year talking about being called to love. So today we wanna talk about being called to a body. And as we get into this, I just want to start by acknowledging that anytime we talk about the body, and in this passage, Paul talks about some very sensitive things. He talks about sex and sexuality. 
He talks about um, all kinds of things that maybe for some of us will stir up just things from our past, right? As we talk about our bodies, as we'll learn today, there's so much shame in conversations around our body. Many of us have lived deep trauma in our bodies. Our bodies have been harmed by other people. We have harmed others with our bodies. And so there is a lot when it comes to talking about the body, talking about sexuality, that we are not going to cover today. Because this passage, as Hannah will, t- will tell us in just a moment, is not actually about sex. It's really about the body. And there's an illustration here about sex. But as we talk about this, there's a lot we're not going to get to. And I realize that that may disappoint some of you. That may frustrate some of you. This may open up questions that we don't have time to answer today. I just want to encourage you that we know that. And pastorally, we are here for you if you'd like to talk, if you'd like to pray together, if you'd like to wrestle through these things, if you need therapy or counseling, we are here to be a resource for you. And we don't mean in any way for this to further your shame. We hope that this message and what we're doing here in this text and what Paul is leading us into is actually a form of liberation and healing for so many of us that are confused about our bodies. So I just wanna kind of put that out there as a little bit of a caveat, just to say, we, we see you and we know that this is a challenge and this may be even one of those messages. Right now you begin to feel the tensing up of your body as you think about all of the limitations, the vulnerabilities, the exposure of your body and what that means and what that meant in your life and what that might even mean in terms of being a barrier to you following Jesus. So what I want, we're gonna to do today, um, again, just the format of this series, I'm co-teaching this with our visiting teacher, Hannah Anderson. And so Hannah lives in Roanoke and is joining us virtually and actually is, uh, is, is gonna be teaching alongside of me with video. So we're gonna to start today's message by listening to Hannah as she sets up uh, this passage here in 1 Corinthians 6 and talks to us about what it means to be called into a body and some of the challenges of living in our bodies. And so let's listen to Hannah as she leads us here in 1 Corinthians 6. As we return to our study of vocation in 1 Corinthians this morning, we're going to be focusing in on 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 through 20. Now, at first glance, it may not be obvious how this passage relates to discovering our vocation. It just seems like Paul is talking about sex. And as good of a conversation and as necessary as a topic as that is for Christians to think about, it really doesn't seem like it's teaching us anything about how we discover our vocation. How does this passage teach us about the particular ways in which we will live out the call to love God and love each other? Well, I want you to remember something about 1 Corinthians. It's a deeply practical book, and Paul is addressing the concerns and problems that have arisen within the church. And he's using these presenting issues whether it's tribalism or church discipline or civil lawsuits, to teach deeper principles. He's not just concerned with telling the believers what to do. He wants them to understand why they do it. Because the truth is, you don't get to the point where you think it's okay for Christians to have sex with temple prostitutes if you haven't first missed something else along the way. And so in this passage, in 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20, Paul is addressing the presenting issue of sexual immorality, but he's also teaching the Corinthian believers something deeper about their bodies. And that is what we want to explore this morning. And so as we come to this passage, we're asking the question, what is Paul and what is the scripture teaching us about our bodies 
that will inform our discovery process of our vocations. How does being called to a body inform the process of understanding how we will live out the call to love God and love each other through the particular details of our lives? Now, I want to just say at the front that it may surprise you to think of your body or being called to a body as part of discovering your vocation. We don't really tend to think about our bodies as leading to our vocations. But I want you to remember how we defined vocation last week. Vocation is responding to the call of God on your life to love and serve him and to love and serve others through the particular details of your life. It's based on the idea that God in his providence has brought together a certain set of features and opportunities and experiences within your life to inform and direct how you would live out the call to love him and love others. And so when we think about our bodies, I don't think there's a clearer example of God's providence that is so close and so accessible to us. Think about this. How did your body come into existence? Well, you came from your mother and father. You came from a particular set of genetic DNA that created you. Maybe you got your nose from your father and your eyes from your mother. Maybe all these features have been passed down from them. But then you have to back up a generation and say, well, where did your father get his nose? And where did your mother get her eye color? And pretty soon, when you start thinking generationally, you realize that the particular body that you have been given, all of the things about it, whether it's your skin color, the color of your eyes, your hair, the shape of your body, your height, all of these things have been carried along through the generations of God's providence until they came together in you. And so David is right when he says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. There is a providence within your very body that displays the work and the creativity of God to shepherd all of these details through generations and generations and thousands upon thousands of years until they came together in your body. So just as you might be intellectually gifted or gifted with a particular talent or interest or capacity, your unique body has been given to you in stewardship. And it is through this particular body that you are going to live out the call to love God and to love other people. So our bodies are part of discovering who we are and how we are to be in the world. And again, I know this isn't the way we typically think about our bodies, but I wanna give you a couple examples that might help you begin to think in this direction. So I'm 5'3", and it was pretty clear early on that there was no opportunity for me to consider a career in basketball. Now, if you're 7'1", you might have that opportunity. Our height doesn't dictate that we become a basketball player just because you're tall, but my height does dictate that I don't become a basketball player. At least, I won't be able to play competitively because of my body. Now, Another way to think about this is this way. Only one half of the human race has the physical capacity to create new human beings inside their bodies. Now, just because you can do this, just because you can conceive and carry children, doesn't mean that that is necessarily the vocation that God is calling you to. You may not be called to be a wife and a mother. 
But the fact that you have that body gives you a potentiality that perhaps you might be able to love God and love others through this way. And it's a potentiality that no man has. There is no man that is going to be called to worship God and serve others by conception. The body, his body, the particularities of his body inform his vocation. Again, our bodies don't dictate our vocation, but they are part of the process of discovery, of learning how we live out the call to love God and to love other people in the particular details of our lives. Now, if these ideas kind of sound foreign, I understand. This isn't the way we're used to talking about our bodies. In fact, for most of us, in the context that we live in, our bodies are not given much attention except perhaps about the way they look, maybe as sex objects. And in fact, the body in our society isn't really even seen as the real us. We think of the real person as the person inside, the immaterial. And author Nancy Percy um, describes it this way. She's summarizing our contemporary understanding of the body in her book, Love Thy Body. And she writes this. The authentic self has no connection to the body. The real person resides in the spirit, mind, will, and feelings. The implication is that the body doesn't matter. It's not the site of the authentic self. Matter doesn't matter. All that matters is a person's inner feeling and sense of self. Now, on the surface, that may sound like it's freeing. You're not trapped in your body. Your body doesn't dictate who you are or what you become. But you also know that by erasing the particular details of our bodies, we can actually dehumanize people. Gender blindness or color blindness does not help in solving oppression. What helps is when we honor the differences and the particular details of our bodies. What helps us overcome inequity and oppression is when we see God's providential gifting and handiwork in the differences that we honor and glory in our particular biology, that we affirm the goodness of both men and women, that we affirm the glory of all races and ethnicities. You see, Dismissing our bodies actually leads us to a great deal of harm. And it was this same problem that was at the root of the Corinthians' temptations as well. The Corinthians had a similar understanding of their body. They didn't think it mattered, and that's why they could do whatever they wanted with it. Look back at the text. In 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20, Paul is working through the logic both that the Corinthians are operating under and what they should be operating under. If you look in verse 12 and 13, you'll see that several of the passages have quotes around them. These are quotes that Paul is quoting back to the Corinthian believers. These are ideas or phrases that they had accepted as true and then had been operating under. So a couple of the, the assumptions that they had about their body were this, everything is permissible for me. I can do whatever I want. How could they reach that conclusion? Well, look at verse 13. This is part of the reason how, why they could reach that conclusion. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will do away with both of them. You see, they thought that the body was simply a composition of animalistic drives that needed to be fulfilled. 
It wasn't eternal. It wasn't lasting. And so you could do whatever you wanted with it. If you were hungry, you could eat whatever you wanted. If you had a sexual appetite, you could go fulfill it with the temple prostitutes because what we did in our body didn't matter. And to correct this, Paul directs their attention in verse 14 or verse 13. He says, however, the body is not for sexual immorality. The body doesn't exist just so you can fulfill its desires and drives. The body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And if you see at the end of the passage in verse 20, he says something similar. He says, so glorify God in your body. The Corinthians had accepted the lie that their bodies were unimportant, that they didn't matter to how they lived out their vocations, that they could do whatever they wanted with them. But Paul is calling them back to this fundamental truth. You have a body that is dedicated to the Lord. It is for the Lord. You are to use your body, the particular body you have been given, to love him and to love each other. Therefore, because your body is for the Lord, glorify God with your body. Or as he puts it in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Remember how we define vocation. It was responding to the call of God to love him and love others through the particular details of your life, including your body. And here Paul is calling them back to an awareness that your body is for the Lord. You are to love him with it. But it's also to serve your neighbor because how you relate to your body is going to be similar to how you relate to your neighbor's body. If you think your body is unimportant, that it's going to be done away with, you're very likely to see your neighbor's body in the same way. You're not going to honor and care for their body either. And this is at the root of what James is expressing in the book, James, in chapter 2, when he, he says that something about our faith and our belief in God is revealed in how we treat other people's bodies. Listen. If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, be well and fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. You see, here's the point. Your body has been given to you to live out your vocation the calling on your life to love God and love others through the particular details of your life, including the particular body that you have been given. Now, Paul, again, the logic of 1 Corinthians 6 is much bigger than sexual immorality. He's drawing on this deep well of understanding about our bodies that goes as far back in the scripture as the very first pages of Genesis. Because he also reminds the Corinthian believers, not only is their body to love God and to love others, but their body is the temple. Verse 19, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God? You are not your own. Now, this vision of the temple is a beautiful vision. And I'm afraid oftentimes within um, religious life, we've reduced it 
to saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But what Paul is alluding to in this passage is so fundamental to our bodies that it stretches back to Genesis 2. Of course, within 1 Corinthians 6, he's talking specifically about those believers who have answered the call of God on their lives to come into fellowship with Christ and fellowship with each other. But the image of the body being filled with the spirit or the breath of God, that same word, spirit and breath, Harkens back to Genesis 2 when God takes the dust of the earth and breathes into it life and man becomes a living soul. We are embodied souls. We are embodied image bearers and our bodies have been given to us by God and they are holy and glorious and beautiful and we should take great delight in them and we should use them to live out our vocation in unashamed ways. In fact, in Genesis 2, 24, that's what the scripture says, that the man and the woman were naked and unashamed. They were completely at peace with their bodies. Now, if that sounds foreign to you, you're not alone. Of all the things, I think, within our present moment that are most challenging to our ability to live out our vocation in our bodies, it's the deep shame that we often carry about our bodies. It's this deep sense of alienation, not just from each other and from God, but alienation from our own selves and our own bodies. Because you don't have to get very far from Genesis 2.24, where the man and woman are naked and unashamed, to Genesis 3, where they suddenly see their nakedness, they're ashamed of it, and they hide themselves. They isolate themselves from each other and from God. And it is impossible to live out your vocation in your body if you are separated from those, the very ones that you are called to serve and love. So what happened? Well, again, in Genesis 3, we know that the man and woman used their bodies to reject the call of God on their lives. Rather than answering in obedience, answering the call of God to love him in a certain way. They use their bodies to fulfill their own desires. They use their bodies to indulge in what they thought would be best for their bodies. It's the same thing that the Corinthians were doing. They were being mastered by these fundamental desires and giving into them. And when they did, it results in shame and alienation. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says it this way. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. And so when we use our bodies to reject the call of God, to indulge our own desires, rather than serving God and serving others with our bodies, it results in deep, pervasive alienation and shame. What we need is healing. What we need is to be restored to ourselves and to our own bodies so that we can live out our vocation to love God with our bodies and to serve others through our bodies. Listen to what author Kurt Thompson writes. In your life, God's way is about loving him and loving your neighbor with all the parts of you. But this is hard work especially for those parts that have not had much practice doing that, the wounded parts, the weak parts. 
the parts that you may not have paid much attention to. So the question we have to answer now, if we are going to answer the call to live out our love for God and love for each other through our bodies, how can we be reconciled to that? How can we be healed? To answer that question, we come back to the Apostle Paul. And I don't know anybody that wrestled more realistically with both the opportunities to steward our bodies with God and also some of the limitations and the suffering that comes in our bodies, living in bodies under the curse, than the Apostle Paul. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament, uh, especially as I was a younger Christian, coming to Christ and really wrestling with what it meant to honor Christ with my body, is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's first, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 7. And Paul, writing in here about the struggles of the body, says this. He says, I don't understand what I'm doing. I don't practice with my body what I want to do. I do what I hate. Who will rescue me, Paul says, from this dying body, from this decaying body? I thank God, he says, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul says there's something that Jesus is doing in his body that is connected to our own struggles in our body, our desire to, as Hannah said, to be healed, to be restored to and to move away from the alienation in our body because of the curse of sin. And that is what Paul is alluding to throughout this passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter six. He's saying our bodies are only healed as they come into contact with the healing presence of Christ's body. That's why he says you're united to Christ's body. You're the members of your body, your your limbs, your your lungs, the totality of who you are as an embodied soul is being united by faith with Jesus. He says your body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. There's something that's happening, something that's happened in the embodied life of Jesus that holds the key to understanding the redemption of our bodies, the healing of our bodies, the recovering of our calling to love other people through our bodies. Paul didn't just pluck this language of you're a temple of the Holy Spirit out of thin air. He's drawing here on the Gospels. The, the narrative accounts of Jesus' life. And he's, and he's pointing us to a very important theological principle about understanding our calling to our bodies. And it's, it's the, the, the idea of incarnation, right? The idea of incarnation. When he says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, he's quoting, really, John chapter one. When God chose to save us, he didn't just come with ideas. He didn't just come with teachings. John chapter one says he came in a very specific way. Jesus, the word of God, takes on flesh. Literally, John 1.14 says the word became, not just put it on like a garment. He didn't just wear it. it. He became flesh. He took up residence, one translation says. He moved into the neighborhood among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The glory of God that was in the temple and the tabernacle in the Old Testament now comes into a human body. That's this idea of he took up residence, he tabernacled among us. He literally set up shop. The new tabernacle is the human body. So when he says glorify God in your body, he's saying as Jesus, the glory of God himself became flesh. The glory of God reunited as a temple, right? The idea of a temple, remember, is that thin space 
uniting heaven and earth, that place where we encounter the divine. He says, now that's seen in the body of Jesus himself. So Jesus takes on flesh. He becomes fully human in addition to being fully God. He doesn't cease to be God, but he, he takes on humanity, and his humanity is fused fully with his divine nature. And the authors of the New Testament are at pains to help us understand how important that is for us. No body, no Jesus, no salvation. That's essentially the message when it comes to the importance of Jesus' body. And that's why Matthew starts his gospel account and he says, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. He didn't just float in here like Casper the Friendly Ghost and hover above humanity. This is his genealogy. This is the family he comes from. Abraham, Moses, David, Jesse. These are his ancestors. He takes on flesh and blood. He has a family history with all of the messiness and all the brokenness that that incorporates. Central to Jesus' vocation as the Son of God is that he is the flesh and blood Son of God. Jesus lives out his vocation faithfully as the Messiah in a flesh and blood male Jewish body. And all that matters. Jesus answers the divine call to a particular embodied life with both gifts and limitations. Can't be everywhere at once in a male Jewish body. There are gonna be certain privileges and certain liabilities in this body. He's born in this place, in Nazareth. He's born into a womb, physically into a womb of a poor virgin teenager, identifying in solidarity with the poor. And yet he's adopted into this family of Joseph that has a royal lineage going all the way back to David. He lives among Jewish and Greco-Roman people, and he's born in a particular cultural moment of history. Jesus is human in every way that we are. He has thoughts. He has feelings. He has a personality. I don't know what his personality type was, but he has a personality. He has desires and longings. He had an imagination he could be hurt and wounded in his body. He has memories. Think about this. Jesus was a sexual being. He had a sexuality about him that he had to wrestle with and struggle with like we do. If you take away Jesus' humanity, you take away our salvation. And so what Jesus is doing in the incarnation is so important for us. If we're gonna understand the healing of our bodies and our vocation to live in bodies, we must understand the importance of the incarnation. In the incarnation, God is reaffirming the sacredness of our bodies, the holiness of our bodies. What we do with our bodies is not a matter of personal self-expression. We are not given bodies to just fulfill our own desires. Our bodies are holy in the sense in which we mean holy in the Bible. They are set apart for God. We are called into bodies and we must respond to God in our bodies. Your body is a holy calling from God. Now, that is scandalous. That would have been scandalous to everybody reading this, to the Jew and to the Gentile. I mean, the only thing I can think of that would even give us just a whiff of how scandalous this would have been is like imagine for a moment as a, 
is a Hoosier that I asked you to put on a Tom Brady jersey. Imagine for a moment that you're an IU fan and I, and I asked you to permanently, like every day, wear a Kentucky jersey. Imagine that I asked you, let's just get a little bit more personal, to imagine the person that's harmed you and betrayed you the most. And I said, I want you to go down to, you know, Connor Hitchcock's t-shirt shop and I want you to make a jersey that says, I love so-and-so. That's how scandalous it would have been for God to become human. Humanity who's betrayed God, who's turned their back back on God, who's committed grave injustices against God and against one another. God comes and he identifies, he puts on the team jersey of humanity. He becomes one of us. Thus sanctifying our bodies. Saying what you do in your bodies matters. Your body is sacred. The divine has touched the human. Tara Owens, in her book, Embracing the Body, says it like this. If God becomes human, he's taking on something that we thought was full only of decay and betrayal. If God becomes human, it means that the very stuff of our lives can be infused with the holy, the true, and the good. If God becomes human, then there's something essential and true to be found in the human experience. There's something essential and true to be discovered in our very flesh and blood, bone and sinew. What you do in your body matters. So that means that we better pay attention to what we do in our bodies as a holy calling from God. We need to attune to our bodies as the place where we encounter God and the place where we respond to God and live out our calling in the world. Instead of being alienated from God, which is our condition under the curse, which leads us kind of to like disown our bodies. Like in the church, it means we often denigrate our bodies and we say, well, it's just really the soul that matters. It's only the spirit that matters. It's going to be with God. We kind of demonize our bodies. We demonize our desires. We demonize our emotions. We demonize our thoughts. And we say, don't trust it at all. And that's half true. We do live under the curse of sin. But God is also redeeming our bodies. He entered into our bodies and he is sanctifying our imagination, our emotions, our sensations, our memories, our imagination. Our whole body existence is being caught up with God. So don't demonize your body. Pay attention to your body because it's actually the place where God wants to speak to you. It is the very place where God wants to meet you with a holy calling. So don't demonize it, but we can also disown our bodies, and this is probably more of like our progressive secular cultural moment, by deifying our bodies, right? If the church often demonizes, we can deify our bodies. Whatever my body is telling me must be true. Whatever my desire is must be my authentic self. That's not true either. Your body's a call from God. And God is inviting you to see his presence and his power available to you in your body as ground zero for what it means to be formed into the image of God, reformed into the image of God. So God says your body matters. In the incarnation, also Jesus shows us, he demonstrates what it looks like to glorify God with our bodies. We're not on our own to figure this out. God has given us a pattern. He's shown us what it looks like 
to glorify God with our bodies. This is a crazy thing, and we don't have a lot of time to get into this. I know we're in a little bit late with our service time anyways. But think about this. By becoming fully human, Jesus had to learn how to orient his body to love God and to love other people. That did not come naturally to him in his humanity. Let that blow your mind for a little bit today as you're grabbing lunch. Jesus had to learn how to orient his body to love God and to love others so that he could then call us and empower us as his disciples to do the same. The one thing that God didn't know before the incarnation is what it meant to feel and to see life through the lens of being human. When Jesus becomes human, he identifies with us, he learns how to resist a selfish way of using his body and to take on a spirit-filled way of using his body to love others and to love God. These aren't just my ideas, by the way. This goes back to the earliest church fathers. The early church fought over this a ton. One of the first heresies in the early church was, was Jesus fully human? And at the Council of Nicaea, Athanasius said this, he became what we are, human, so that we could become what he is. He became what we are, flesh and blood, so that we could become what he is. We could live out our vocation as he lived out his vocation in our bodies. Greg, Gregory Nanzianzis, in a similar time frame, says something like this, that which was not assumed was not healed. So if Jesus doesn't assume our bodies and we can't become like him, we're not experiencing healing. Hebrews 5.8, though he was God's son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus learned obedience. After he was perfected, that word is mature, after he came to full maturity as a human being in every way in his body, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Hebrews 2, likewise, now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death he might destroy the one holding on the power of death that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tested in his body, I'll add in parentheses, and has suffered, he is able to help those of us who also are tempted. as we think about what it looks like to be healed in our bodies, we, like Jesus, must learn to be faithful, to live out our calling in our bodies. The pattern in the life of Jesus you see, and we, again, we don't have a ton of time, I just wanna throw this on the screen because this is really, I think, the pattern for all of us as disciples of Jesus. We see Jesus sanctify his body. God sanctifies the body of Jesus. Jesus responds to the call of God to devote his body to God. He's baptized, Matthew chapter three, with his body. Why is God baptized? To fulfill all righteousness. I wanna sanctify my body. I wanna set my body apart for God. He takes up his vocation as the beloved son of God and God pours the Holy Spirit. That's the idea of sanctification. The Holy Spirit is poured into Jesus' body. So he's full of the power and the presence of God, which fuels everything that he does in ministry. Jesus, like us, had to depend on the power of the Spirit. He offers his body to God. He struggles in his body. 
immediately he's tempted, right? Matthew chapter four. He's tempted in his body with what? Food and power, Matthew chapter four. He resists other voices that tempt him to use his body to fulfill his own desires. He says, man doesn't live on bread alone, but he lives on every word that comes out of the mouth of the Father. He goes on in Matthew 26 to wrestle even with his own internal desires. God, I don't wanna do this. If this cup can pass for me, God, please let it. I don't wanna die. That's Jesus speaking in the fullness of his humanity, in his weakness, his vulnerability, his temptation. But he surrenders. That's the next thing we see. He surrenders his desires to God. Not my will, but yours be done. And then he gives himself away to others. He shows us what it looks like to offer his body to others, not as an instrument to exploit or consume or to harm other people's bodies, but rather to honor the dignity of other people's bodies and to restore them to the image of God. He uses his body for healing. He touches people. He blesses people. He hugs those who've not been hugged in decades. He embraces, he laughs, he cries. He heals people's bodies. Jesus cares about the healing of our bodies. He embodies a holy sexuality, right? Which I'm defining sexuality just as this desire that we have for intimacy with other people. He embodies that through friendship, through deep intimacy with his disciples and other men and women without the distortion of lust or sexual morality. And ultimately, he goes to the cross, and he offers up his naked, vulnerable body. Hebrews 12, chapter, chapter 12 says, he endures humiliation in his body, scorning the shame of the cross for the joy set before him. He offers up his body for us. Like Jesus, we are called to learn to glorify God with our bodies. We too need to be sanctified. We need to be set apart by God in our bodies. Now the good news of Jesus is that we're, we're gonna fail. We cannot do this in our own strength. We can't live as Jesus lived. What Jesus did in some ways was completely unique and completely unrepeatable on one level. None of us are dying for people's sins. None of us are God in the flesh, right? So the good news is we're going to fail in this vocation of our bodies. Our bodies break down. Our bodies are subject to decay. Our bodies, instead of being tempted without sin, we give in to sin and we use our bodies to harm ourselves and harm other people. But the good news of Jesus is that his body was broken so that our bodies could be healed. When we experience that kind of vulnerability, Jesus' body being broken for us, I believe that that is the power that transforms us. That is the witness of the library of scriptures, that power that transforms us. As we see a God who's so vulnerable, who's, who uses his body not to harm us, but rather his body is broken for us, it creates the safety that we need. Those of us who've been harmed by other people's bodies, those of us who've not experienced the world to be a safe place to live in our bodies with all of our conflicting emotions and thoughts and desires and memories and imagination and longings. God says, come to me. I'm a safe body for you. Unite your body with my body by faith. I'm gonna make it possible for you to regain trust, for you to experience the intimacy that you long for in your body. 
that you're created for in your body. I'm gonna fill you with my spirit. You're gonna be baptized, right? Baptism, united with Christ in his death, literally put under the water saying, I no longer live to please myself, raised up out of the water. I've been raised to walk in newness of life, to give my body now first and foremost to God and then to my brothers and sisters in love. And I'm still gonna have struggles. Like Jesus, I'm gonna be tempted. And unlike Jesus, I'm going to fail. I'm gonna be tempted to assert my own will, to use my sexuality, to use my body in ways that glorify me. And so I'm gonna have to wrestle with the devil. I'm gonna have to wrestle with myself. I'm gonna have to wrestle with the world to resist those other voices and continue to hear and respond to the voice of my Father. And it's gonna involve a lot of painful surrender. Painful surrender to give God over and over again my body, to trust my brothers and sisters with my body when my body's been so abused, so exploited, so manipulated. But that's what God's doing in the church. He's rebuilding that capacity to surrender our bodies to God. There's a great example, and I don't have time to read it, but I, I just wanna show you the, the book and I wanna read you one little passage. David Bennett, I think one of the great examples of this, a gay celibate Christian by his own words, who came to know Jesus, even though he grew up hating the church and hating God, in his autobiography and his account of how he converted in his words from being a gay activist to being a deep follower of Jesus. In one really poignant section of his journey to surrender his sexuality to God, and to learn to give his body to others in the purity and the holiness of true love that only can be given by God as an instrument of healing. He says this, I, know, I knew beyond a doubt that God was asking me to do something I had never thought I could give, to give him my sexuality, my broken sexual desires, my, my homosexuality, he says, and choose celibacy. It was that simple, it was also that hard. From a sort of loving, desperate surrender, I prayed, Lord, you died on the cross for me. You gave me your body. How could I not give you my body in return? How could I hold back my sexuality, let alone my money, my plans, my affections, my whole self? Anything less would not be true worship, quoting Romans 12. This was different from my other times of surrender. God had given me all of himself and his son and spirit, and it was time to give him all of myself. My gay identity had to bow to Jesus Christ. And that meant being willing to live without a partner for the remainder of my life. His love called me to relinquish the desires, warring against my repentance. And I gave them over to him and was swept up into his arms. This was the greater romance, the one true love that could fulfill me far more than sex or any other relationship could. Now, I don't know what that's gonna look like in your journey. But I do know for all of us, straight or gay, man or woman, white or black or brown, it is going to be painful. It is going to involve surrendering our desires to God and recognizing that my truest desires are not always my most intense desires. Because I was created for God and God alone and only in him and only in communion with him am I going to experience life. And so when I hit those moments, when it doesn't make sense, when I'm 
called to surrender my body, when I'm called to give my body to God in ways that I don't want to, that don't even make sense to me. When my body begins to break down and it begins to succumb to chronic illness, and my body begins to be diminished and laid low, and I no longer have control of my body, and I still have to surrender it to God, I still have to look for God in my body, and I experience all kinds of limitations and losses. Paul says, don't forget at the end of 1 Corinthians, one day you're gonna be raised from the dead. The hope that we have is in the death of Jesus, redeeming our bodies, making it possible for us to give our bodies to God. And then remembering that even in the midst of the struggle to surrender, to give ourselves away as a community of healing for others, there will come a day when God will make all things new again in our bodies. He will transform our lowly bodies, Paul says, and he will give us a glorious body, a spirit-filled body, a perfect body. And all of these desires that I'm wrestling with that go unfulfilled in this life, even if you have a great marriage, even if you have a great sex life, it doesn't fulfill. <laughs> but all of those desires will be fulfilled one day in God himself. And that's why Paul says, because you've been raised from the dead, your labor is not in vain. Keep going in your bodies because you're going to get a new spirit-filled body one day. So you don't have to grasp for self-fulfillment. You don't have to assert your own desires in ways that are unhealthy, in ways that harm yourself and other people. One day your body's going to be transformed and you will reign and you will rule with God. That is the hope of Jesus for our bodies. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have come to set us free. You've come to give us, you've come to call us to glorify you in our bodies, to picture you in our embodied existence to the world, to show the world this is who God is and this is what he's like. That is the vocation of our bodies, to be honoring you, to be faithful to you in the midst of all of the glory that that encompasses as well as the brokenness. God, help us to see you at work in our bodies. Would you redeem our bodies? Would you redeem our brokenness? Would you call us to find our bodily desires fulfilled in you? And then God, to live out of that vocation in all the other spheres of life, our work, our marriages, our singleness, our, our, our role as neighbors, help us to love others with our bodies as you have loved us with your own body. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.